0: We are back in the Lord's Prayer today here on Abounding Grace as we continue looking at the fifth petition found in this prayer. Join us for Abounding Grace next. Join our prayer time. We're asking the Lord to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a key word in there that we'll spend some time looking at today, and that's simply the word as. We don't pray forgive our debts because we forgive our debtors, but as. And there is a big difference. Join us as we examine it together that we might grow in grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
1: This is our fourth Sunday now on the fifth petition, Forgive Us Our Debts as We Forgive Our Debtors. And today we're going to focus on one word. I'm going to try and explain that one word and spend most of my sermon applying it to our lives. Now, we have been spending our time looking at the Lord's Prayer through our larger catechism, which is, as I have said, a summation of the teaching of that prayer from a biblical perspective. And now, Catechism question and answer number 195 ends with this one encouragement to pray the fifth petition. It says, we are emboldened to ask for forgiveness and encouraged to accept forgiveness when we have this testimony in ourselves, that we, from the heart, forgive others their offenses. Now we're going to look at that one word today, and that one word is, as. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's important And you can't make this emphasis too much, and that is, does not say, it does not say here, because. It doesn't say, Lord, forgive us our debts because we forgive our debtors, as if forgiving others would make us more worthy and deserving of God's forgiveness. Our forgiving others is not the basis of the forgiving of our sins, It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say because. It says as. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So what's the point being made? The point being made, I can explain in five words. Only the forgiving are forgiven. In other words, those who hope for God's forgiveness... Jesus said, must be able to tell him that they also have forgiven people who have sinned against them. Listen to J.I. Packer. All those who live by God's forgiveness must imitate it. One whose only hope is that God will not hold his faults against him forfeits his right to hold others' faults Against them. Now, how do we know that God has forgiven us of our sins and will continue to forgive us of our sins? Because He has given us the grace to forgive other people who have injured us and hurt our feelings. Now, this in no way implies that we are making ourselves worthy of forgiveness by God by forgiving other people our forgiveness doesn't have any merit to it at all. In fact, if you know yourself at all, you know that the forgiveness of sins that you offer to other people is so inconsistent and so insincere on occasion that it is worthy in itself of divine condemnation. The only reason God accepts any of our forgiving of each other Is not because it is exactly what He demands, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ and our acceptance in Him. God's forgiveness of our sins never rests on anything we do, but it is forever based on the perfect life and sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But after having said this, you and I must still take the fifth petition with extreme seriousness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, for it is only the forgiving who are forgiven. Listen to this jarring quote from Herman hoxema He's taken the fifth petition seriously, and so he says this, You probably ask whether it means that God will not forgive my sin if I do not forgive the brother who sinned against me. And the answer to this question is an emphatic, yes. It means exactly that. It means nothing else. And God gives us the grace to forgive, not on the basis, but on the condition that we forgive one another, end quote. That's what Jesus said. He emphasized that time and again in his ministry. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, he says, If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled with your brother, and then come and present your offering. Now, what Jesus is doing in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount is explaining the true meaning of, you shall not commit murder. He is clarifying the law of God against all the Pharisaical and rabbinical abuses of it, and in explaining the true meaning of, you shall not commit murder, he is saying, not only are you and I not to kill people unjustly, And not only are we not to harbor evil, bitter, murderous thoughts in our hearts for one another, but the commandment to not kill really means that we should take positive steps to put ourselves right with our brothers whom we have injured. We must not only repress unkind, unworthy, hostile thoughts, But we must actually take steps to remove the cause of trouble between ourselves and other brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to what Martin Lord Jones says, and this is from his great work on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, We have reached the stage in which there shall be nothing wrong in spirit between our brothers and sisters. This matter, he tells us, is so important that even if I find myself at the altar with a gift I'm I'm going to offer to God, and there I suddenly remember something I have said or done, something which is causing another person to stumble or go wrong somehow, if I find that I'm harboring unkind and unworthy thoughts about him or in any way hindering his life, then our Lord tells us... And he says, and may I put it with reverence, we should, in a sense, even keep God waiting rather than stray. We must get right with our brother and then come back and offer the gift. In the sight of God, there is no value whatsoever in an act of worship if we harbor unknown sin. Now notice in the next chapter, Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus continues to explain what forgiveness is, and he says, if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive them, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. When Jesus tells us to ask God for forgiveness of our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors, He is not telling us to feel free to ask God for forgiveness because we have forgiven those who have forgiven us. Keep in mind, He didn't say because. He said as. So we are to ask God for forgiveness of our sins as We are forgiving other people of their sins that have been committed against us. Listen to Lloyd-Jones again. The proof that you and I are forgiven is that we forgive others. If we think that our sins are forgiven by God and we refuse to forgive somebody else, we're making a rather large mistake. We have actually never been forgiven. The man who knows he has been forgiven only in and through the shed blood of Christ is a man who must forgive others. He cannot keep it to himself. If we really know Christ as our Savior, our hearts are broken and cannot be hard, and we cannot refuse forgiveness. Pray to God and say, forgive me, O God, as I forgive others because of what you have done for me. All I ask is that you would forgive me in the same manner. Not to the same degree, because all I do is imperfect. In the same way, as it were, as you have forgiven me, I am forgiving other people. Forgive me as I forgive them because of what the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ has done in my heart. True forgiveness, he says, breaks a man. And he must forgive. So that when we offer this prayer for forgiveness, we test ourselves in the same way. Our prayer is not genuine. It is not true. It is of no avail unless we find there is forgiveness in our hearts. End quote. Jesus also gave us a very convicting parable in Matthew 18 that we read just a few minutes ago. Turn with me there if you would, please. Matthew 18 verses 21 through 35. Now, right before this passage, Jesus explains discipline and how it's to be carried out. Then after the verses on discipline, Peter asked Jesus a question in verses 21 through 35. Peter asks, Hereafter, should I forgive my brothers a whopping seven times? And Jesus said, No, try 70 times seven. Then Jesus presents a parable about a king to whom slaves had various debts, and he found that there was one who owed him 10,000 talents, who did not have the wherewithal to repay that debt. So his master, the king, commanded him to be sold to some other master, along with his wife and children, and that to do whatever he must do to repay that debt. The slave, knowing he could not repay him, fell down at his feet and said, Have pity on me. Be patient with me. I will repay you everything. And then the king felt compassion on him and released him, forgiving his entire debt. So the slave went out rejoicing. And he found another slave that owed him 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii is a lot less than 10,000 talents. But the forgiven slave seizes the other slave and begins choking him, demanding what was owed to him. So this fellow slave fell down before him, asking him for pity. Be patient with me. I'll repay you everything. But the forgiven slave was unwilling to forgive him, and he threw his fellow slave Slave into prison until he could pay him back what he owes. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't for the life of me figure out how an imprisoned man can pay back a personal debt. We're going to have to ask Kurt that someday. So when the other slaves saw what had happened, they were grieved and reported back to the master. The man that you forgave will not reciprocate your mercy and those who owe him money. So the forgiven slave is called back before his master, and the master says, You wicked slave, I forgave all your debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had mercy and imitated my compassion to your fellow slaves? Just as I had mercy on you, you should have shown mercy. The king was angry with him, and he handed him over to the torturers until he could pay him all that he owed him. And then you have that biting verse, the application in verse 35. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, turn you over to the torturers, if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. Now, the parable is plain. The point is obvious. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ must show to other people the forgiveness that they have received from Almighty God. This parable is portrayed in colorful detail, and it emphasizes the contrast between the magnitude of God's forgiving love for His disciples and the stingy behavior of the slave whose debt God had forgiven. Forgiving the debt cost the master millions of dollars. But the servant refused to forgive a much smaller debt, because the slave demanded justice without mercy. His master was merciful, but the slave demanded justice without showing any mercy. His thinking was like this, "'It's just according to the law. You owe this to me. I have the right to demand my money back.' And so, he showed no mercy. And that was a serious mistake on the part of the slave. Because if you know, James chapter 2 verse 13 says, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Now, be careful not to misapply these words. These parables and these words are addressed to individuals in their everyday lives and their everyday relationships with each other. Parables like this do not govern the procedure of civil and ecclesiastical courts, but in our everyday relationships, we must be merciful in our judgments toward other people. So the servant refused to show the same compassion that his master had shown to him. He demanded justice without mercy. So he had to face his master once more. What the servant had done to his debtor, the master now does to him. You administer justice without mercy. Now you're going to get justice without mercy. And as a result, the servant had cast himself into everlasting misery. Pastor and theologian Simon Kistemacher says this, God cannot overlook a refusal to show mercy, for this is contrary to His nature, His word and His testimony. God pardons by accepting the sinner as if he had never sinned at all. God forgives the sinner's debt and He remembers it no more. And God expects the forgiven sinner to do the same. Now, you and I should carefully note another element in this parable. The servant's debt to his master was absolutely unpayable. 10,000 talents in today's currency is somewhere around 60 million dollars. But the master forgave the entire debt, and God forgives the eternal debt of His people totally, absolutely, which is unrepayable by us, and He did it through the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it is through Christ that the promises we read a while ago in Psalm 103 became a reality in our lives. It is because of the grace of God on the basis of the sacrificial substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ that our unrepayable debts have been wiped out. And for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can experience what this is describing every day of our lives. Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always strive or make war against us. He will not always be angry with us. Why? Because His anger was turned away in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, Praise the Lord. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us, just as a father has compassion on His children, so has the Lord compassion on those who fear Him, for for He Himself knows our frame, and He is mindful that we are but dust. God has had mercy upon you and I and shown us compassion, and does not treat us as we deserve. And you and I must never forget that, because it makes a complete difference in our attitude and our behavior in our lives. Once you know that God mercifully has compassion on you because of Jesus, you should never get over it, if you are truly His child. Every sin we commit deserves eternal hell. But Jesus paid back all that debt on our behalf for all of God's people by enduring the horrors of an eternal hell on the cross in our place. I recently read a quote from a book on the parables that explains how Jesus paid the debt and why his death on the cross was the full payment for our sins, canceling out our debt that we had before God. And I want to read a paragraph from that quote. It says, Jesus paid the debt because while he suffered the anguish and torment of hell, he still loved God, served him and glorified his father. When the dark and dreadful waves of God's fierce wrath swept over his soul, he still loved God with a perfect heart. And thus he paid the debt for all of God's people. It is paid so completely that not one small part of that debt remains to be paid. We are conscious of this great blessing when we carry the burden of our sin and guilt to Calvary and confess at the foot of the cross our own unworthiness. We find the assurance of forgiveness when we, by faith, lay hold on Christ and His perfect sacrifice. Then we actually come to know that this great debt is totally taken away. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Back to the quote. This great forgiveness of God must be displayed in our lives and in our relationships, end quote, because every sin I commit in one way or another affects all relationships with everyone else, whether you know I have sinned or not. Do you remember Achan? the man who took booty from a defeated nation and hid it in his tent, no one knew about it. But because of it, the entire nation suffered in battle. So every sin we commit, Whether we are conscious of those sins in one way or another affects our relationship with each other so that we continually are putting ourselves in each other's debt. Day by day, week by week, you are continually, every time you are sinning, putting yourself in my debt. And every day that I sin, whether you know it or not, I'm putting myself in your debt. So as God is daily cancelling out our debt, motivated by gratitude in that great thought, we are to cancel out each other's debt that we commit against each other every day of our lives. And we are to forgive as God has forgiven us, open-handed, not in any kind of stingy fashion, but open-handedly. Ephesians 4:32 says, "Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you." We are to forgive each other the way Christ has forgiven us.